For our first message today, we have a sermonette from Mr. David Hope entitled, The Feast of Weeks is Still to be Observed. Mr. Hope. Thank you, Mr. Nolan, and good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see everyone here today, especially in the light of what we've had in weather-wise the last few weeks. It's, it's good to be here. Uh, Stephen and I and Barney and several of us were talking a little earlier on the uh, day of Pentecost. There's so many scriptures that you can use, so many examples, so many ways you can go with it. And even if you have uh, three or four different people using the same scriptures, you're still going to get a different perspective on it. But today is the day of Pentecost, and as we know, most of us here realize that uh, it was originally called the Feast of Weeks. That uh, many churches, many churchgoers, put it this way, and non-churchgoers, many people in the world, and I'm not uh, saying this putting anybody down, but a lot of people really don't know what the word Pentecost means. They just, uh, a lot of them think, well, it's, it's the events that happened on that particular day, you know, the, the, the miracles and things of speaking in tongues, and, and uh, some of them try to duplicate that, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not against that if that's what they want to do. But a lot of people don't understand what Pentecost is. They just think it's a, you know, whatever, uh, when you tell somebody you're uh, a church of God, sometimes they, they think we're, part of the Pentecostal church, you know, that goes way back. And that's okay. And they don't realize that Pentecost is only a Greek word that means 50th. Count 50. You know, 50th. So today I'm going to be try to be brief anyway and go into just a few scriptures. And and uh, I will start with uh, one of our traditional scriptures over in, in the Old Testament. And I will make a qualifier like keep in mind when we read a lot of the Old Testament scriptures about the, the uh, holy days and things of this nature uh, don't get the I mean a lot of people have the idea and especially if they've not been around our church as long they come in and they and they, they hear us reading these things and, wow I didn't know you do these sacrifices these offerings and all this stuff you know wow yeah you're doing a good point telling me that we keep these days but boy you know and until someone explains it to them differently, if they stay around long enough or, or, or a relative or something, and they'll say, hey, well, what about this stuff here? Well, we don't do the old sacrifices and all the other offerings and stuff like that. But uh, we do keep the days. And, and I'll, like I said, I'll try to be brief. And I'll look over into uh, Leviticus 23, which is an old, uh, not a standby, but a pretty standard scripture that we use. And... I had a place in here, uh, I like to use different colors of ink on my printer to kind of highlight different things so I don't get lost as much. And I uh, didn't realize it until just as I was printing things out, we'd already had breakfast, fixing to get ready, and I went in to print my deal out and found out my black ink is almost totally out of ink. But that's okay, because I intended to have portion of this deleted anyway, because it was going to take a little time and, and really, it, it's I mean, it fits in with the subject, but it didn't. It's not necessary. So, uh, anyway, my black ink went out, and, and I can see it a little bit. Leviticus 23, verse 1 through 16. 
And Moses spoke unto, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, Say to them concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feast. And of course, people will say, especially when you say uh, the Sabbath and all that, they say, Well, this, this is the Jews' Sabbath, this is the Jews' holy days, but this, God says, This is my feast. Six days, and we'll start off with the Sabbath on this particular group. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord, not the Jews, but the Lord, in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, verse 4, even holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their seasons. And we've already covered uh, a few weeks ago, uh, 50 plus days ago now, the Passover. And the 14th day of the first month, that even is the Lord's Passover. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We read these scriptures. And to the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And that's an enjoyable time for us, For uh, even though we don't like necessarily to eat the hard, crunchy bread. But it's, it's an enjoyable time because we, for all the reasons involved, and, of course, there's deeper meanings in the Passover and days of unleavened bread for us today than what there was then. Verse 7, in the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work, but you shall offer an offering made by fire. Here's part, you know, we'll get too involved with the, these sacrifices. Fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation. We still do that. You shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath shall you wave it. And I think we mentioned this during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Uh, we realize, and, and we, uh, people don't, a lot, of, a lot of people, unless they're really studying into the Bible, don't really realize that Sunday, you know, when people will claim that, especially when they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they say, well, Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And anyway, this, this is the stuff I don't have time to get into. But we've all covered it before, and if anybody here or anybody out there listening has a problem, you know, contact us and we'll explain it. But most of us realize that um, uh, on that uh, Sunday morning, sunrise, after sunrise, before sunrise, as it began to dawn toward night, Jesus was already gone. We know that. He was already gone. And we know when they came to the sepulcher to see Jesus, he was already gone, and one particular case, uh, Mary was crying, and and uh, Jesus came up behind her, and, and she didn't recognize him at first, and then when he just said Mary, you know, he, she realized who that was, and she turned around, and you know how you want to do you, somebody you haven't seen in a while, or you think they're dead, you know, you think your kid or somebody injured in a car wreck, and you, you want to hug him, you think, oh man, you know, but Jesus said, don't touch me. I'm not reading that, but Jesus said, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. And most of us know, and I think uh, 
Uh, we spent enough time on that back in the Passover time period uh, that it should be clear that Jesus is represented as the wave sheaf offering. I'm not going to get into all of the technicalities of it now when they cut it and do that and, and when they say the priest isn't ready and all this stuff. You know, I'm not going to go into that because that's going to take too much time. But Jesus was the wave sheaf offering and we realize, and I'm digressing a little bit, even later on that afternoon, that day, when the other 11 disciples were together meeting in a room because of fear, and a lot of the commentaries and scholars will tell you, well, that's because they were teach that, that they, they knew that Jesus changed the day, so they were having a Sunday service. And then they said, well, and then, then he did it again a week later. Well, it was eight days later. It wasn't on the same day. If it was a church service, they didn't have it on. Anyway, there's so many things that we can get into. But anyway, uh, at that particular time when Jesus appeared to him then, he had already ascended to the Father, was accepted, and you know, and I don't know whether Steve's going to go into any of that today or not. I, uh, he says he has. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, and I'm going to skip a little bit here uh, simply because it's blacked out. Uh, and you shall offer in that day a sheaf of the... Anyway, I'm going to start, I'm going to pick it up here in, in verse 15. Uh, and you shall count unto you, and this is the part that I really wanted to mention anyway, and I'm just using this other to build up to it. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. And there are a lot of different uh, takes on it. People will say, well, it was after the first holy day, you know, and the and, uh, day of Pentecost can happen on a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, depending on the 50 days from that high day is. You know, and, and we've gone through this before. And, and, you know, we can knock that in the head. That's, that's absolutely not true. Because it gives you the starting time and it gives you the ending time. Uh, anyway... Even until the morrow, even I'll read it, sixteen again. Even to the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering. So it tells you when to start. We start, and I'll just explain. We we start on the Sabbath during the days of unleavened bread, the weekly Sabbath. We start counting on the Sunday after that. So Sunday is important in the churches of God. We start on a Sunday and the day after the Sabbath on 49 days is 50 days is Sunday. So if I'm going a little too fast, uh, uh, hopefully you're not getting too lost. I'm going to skip in. I'm going to get a uh, couple of about three verses from the New Testament. And I'm doing something a little different than what I normally do. Uh, generally, I'm a King James person, King James Bible person. I'm, uh, I like all of them, but uh, I usually do my studying out of King James because so many of the references and the helps and the concordances and stuff like this, so many of those are geared to the King James, you know. And even though some of the others will put in the, the word that needs to be that maybe is wrong in the King James, you know, like charity or something of this nature. But, um, but once in a while, if it doesn't detect, detract from the content and, 
and the, the true doctrine. Sometimes I'll use some of the others. And this time I'm using, uh, in the New Testament, a few scriptures from the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase, but uh, uh, the, ones, the way I read it, it, it really doesn't take away. And I think it kind of enhances it a little bit. And I didn't know whether our uh, computer operators down there have the Living Bible on their deal or not. And I should have asked them earlier. And they said they have the new uh, Living Bible, which I think is a little different, but it should be close. But I'm going to read uh, my notes, and I have it all printed out, and I don't have my Living Bible with me, but I've got the old King James if I have to go to it. But... Uh, Go to uh, Acts, second chapter, second chapter, verse 1 through 21. And this will sound familiar to you, but it just sounds a little differently. Uh, seven weeks had gone by since Jesus' death and resurrection, and the day of Pentecost had now arrived. As the believers met together that day, suddenly there was a sound like a roaring, mighty windstorm in the skies above them and to fill the house where they were meeting. And the Megarries will know, have a pretty good idea uh, what that mighty rushing wind would be, I would imagine. It, you probably heard Mark talk yesterday that uh, they live in Sepulpa and they, they were recipients of one of the two tornadoes that went through. And uh, of course the difference is with the uh, the day of Pentecost, it didn't do any damage. They just heard the noise, but they can identify, I'm sure, with a loud noise that happened. Verse 3, Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on their heads, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages they didn't know, for the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Verse 5, Many godly Jews in, were in Jerusalem that day for the religious celebrations, having arrived from many nations. And when they heard the roaring in the sky above the, above the house, crowds came running to see what it was all about and were stunned to hear their own languages being spoken by the disciples. So... This is not too far off, you know, it's just explaining it and then maybe a little more English that we could understand. Verse 7, how can this be, they explained, for these men are all from Galilee. And just like us Okies, you know, we, we can't go to New York or California and start talking and deceive anybody and tell them that we fit right in, you know, because we are very uh, succinct. And I don't know how the Galileans were, but it was very... Uh, very evident that these guys weren't, you know, from some of these other countries. Uh, they were from Galilee. And yet we hear them speak in all the negative, native languages of the land wherein we were born. Here we are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, or whatever, men of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, or Asia Minor, uh, Phygra, Pamphylia, I'm not really good on that, how do you get somebody else? Anyway, Egypt, the Cyrene language, areas of Libya, visitors from Rome, both Jews and Jewish converts, Cretans and Arabians, and we all hear these men telling 
in our language, our own language, about the mighty miracles of God. So uh, I'm kind of wondering, too, if maybe part of the hearing, part of the miracle wasn't in the hearing, too. I don't know. But, uh, uh, I'm not disputing you know, the Bible, but it just seems to me like if you, you, you stand up here and talk and you hear it in 15 different languages, maybe it's in the hearing, too. I don't know. I don't have... It's, it's a miracle, we know, and the Holy Spirit did it. And, uh, I'm going to look and see how... Is that pretty well in line with what I'm saying? I don't know. Anyway, I'll read. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd were mocking. They're drunk, that's all, they said. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen, all of you visitors and residents of Jerusalem alike, some of you are saying these men are drunk. It is, isn't true. It's much too early for that. People don't even get drunk by nine o'clock in the morning. Like somebody said, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> oh. Anyway, anyway, it's not even 9 o'clock. Uh, people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, I guess, except for maybe alcoholics or something. No, what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Yes, the Holy Spirit shall come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they shall prophesy. And I will cause strange demonstrations in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and clouds and smoke. The sun shall turn black and the moon beyond, moon blood red before that awesome day of the Lord arise. But anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and be saved. And two more real quick scriptures, and they will be in the Living Bible. This is a, not quite 30 years, I guess, after Jesus' uh, death, resurrection, and all that. Approximately 59 AD, and you know some of the uh, dates may be slightly off, maybe a year or so in some of them, but anyway, my, my Bible, some of my stuff says this is approximately uh, 59 AD when this particular incident in 1 Corinthians 16, and I wish I had time to go into a lot of the other on that, but I've done that in messages before. Uh, I'm breaking in. This time I don't want to, and then this is a Paul speaking, this time I don't want to make just a passing visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while. If the Lord will let me, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the holy day of Pentecost. For there is a wide open door for me to preach and teach here. So much is happening, but there are many enemies. So you can look that up and, you know, and, and the King James or something similar to you're used to, and, but but he, was, he wanted to be there and Pentecost, I mean, on Pentecost. Another sip situation, and I think this one says, I don't have it written down, but I think this is about a year difference, about 60 AD, from the Living Bible. And I'm breaking in Acts 20, verse 16. 
and I hate to just break in so much like that, but because of time, we, we, um, you know, you come back and check me up and see if the context is correct. Acts 20, verse 16. Paul had decided against stopping at Ephesus this time as he was hurrying to get to Jerusalem. If it were possible for the celebration of Pentecost. So we, we have a couple of indicate, I mean, couple of examples right here. Paul was still, you know, 50 some 60 years, or 30, 40 years later, still keeping the holy days, keeping the Pente day of Pentecost. And uh, there's other examples of other ones, but we're not going to mention. Uh, but in conclusion, the day of Pentecost is a feast of weeks without the sacrifices and various offerings. That's just my paraphrase. The, the holy day offerings are still in effect. So when we take up the holy day offerings a little bit, we're not taking anything out of context. <laughs>